Welcome to Grit, the Real Estate Growth Mindset Podcast, hosted by Brian Charlesworth, founder of Sisu. Sisu provides growth automation software for real estate. You'll hear stories from real estate thought and technology leaders, team owners, and brokers on how they grew their business in a rapidly changing industry. You'll learn how to transform your brokerage and teams into a high-performing and analytics-driven business so you have a new, durable, competitive advantage against disruption in your market. So let's get right into it. Well, hello, everybody. I'm Brian Charlesworth. Uh, welcome to the podcast. I'm the founder of Sisu, the growth automation software for real estate, and I'm your host today. And I'm here with Rick Davidson. Rick, uh, I've known now for a couple of years. Um, right as I got to know Rick, he was just finishing up uh, being the CEO at C21. I think probably most of you that are listening to this podcast probably know him from that. And uh, anyway, Rick's gone on to do some really fun things since then that I've been had the pleasure of getting involved with him there. Uh, I also have the honor of having Rick on my board of directors at CSU. So I wanted to invite Rick to join us on the show today. He has some great insights on the industry, uh, things that, uh, I mean, I could talk to hours, to Rick for hours every day just about his, his insights and the, the in-depth uh, things that, and his perspectives on the industry. So with that, Rick, uh, I'd like to turn it over to you. You can tell us a little bit more about uh, your history, how you got into real estate and, and where you're going now. And, and then we'll jump into some other topics. Sounds great. Great to be with you, Brian, and uh, great to be with your listeners. Um, so, you know, I'll give you a, a one-minute, 30-year history. I've uh, been in the business for 30 years, uh, got into the business back in 1988. I'm a commercial real estate uh, professional by trade uh, and spent 20 years in the commercial real estate sector. Uh, and uh, I was with a developer out of Boston at the first part of my career and fairly quickly moved uh, into a role with CBRE or CB Richard Ellis as some people know it. Uh, finished my career with CBRE as uh, the managing director of the Washington DC metropolitan market. So, you know, very robust, uh, highly competitive marketplace, primarily institutional clients uh, was really the focus. And uh, we, uh, we had a great operation uh, and it was an exciting opportunity. But uh, I left CBRE and went to a competitor that was uh, being started out of Manhattan. And uh, two years into uh, running uh, this operation for this new competitor, CBRE bought that competitor. So it was like back to the future for me. And uh, I decided at that time to spin out and start my own commercial real estate company, uh, which I did. And uh, we were a full service commercial real estate firm. We focused on capital markets being acquisition and disposition of commercial real estate assets. Uh, we did some debt, we did some equity raising, we uh, had property management, we did leasing, both tenant representation as well as landlord rep. Uh, so we're really, really a fully integrated uh, uh, commercial real estate services firm. And it was during that time that um, I realized while I had a lot of great personal relationships in the space, in a market like Washington DC, brand is really important. And uh, I made the decision actually to acquire the franchise rights for Cobalt Banker Commercial uh, in that marketplace. And I branded my company with Cobalt Banker Commercial. And you would know them here in this market, uh, in the greater Salt Lake market, because they, they had an incredibly strong position here. Um, yeah. And it was about four years in uh, to owning and running my company under this brand, uh, I was highly engaged uh, as a franchisee, always wanting to look to move the organization forward, always coming up with new ideas and innovative thoughts about how we could work better as a company collectively with all of these independent owners uh, around the country. And so the, uh, the chairman of the parent company of Cobalt Banker Commercial reached out and said, if I find a buyer for your company, will you come be the president? It wasn't anything that was on my radar. Uh, and it meant moving from my home of, uh, in Maryland uh, to New Jersey, which I wasn't really thrilled about, but uh, it ended up being just a great move and a great group of friends and you know, just a great lifestyle in New Jersey. Uh, and I left and became the president uh, of Cobalt Banker Commercial. 
I was in that job for four years uh, from 2006 to 2009. And uh, the last year of that, they actually asked if I would take on a dual role as the chief operating officer for Cobalt Banker, the residential real estate company, as well as continue to be the president of Cobalt Banker Commercial. So that was really my first foray, uh, if you will, into the residential real estate space. Um, I was only in that position for a year when they asked if I would consider taking the helm as the CEO of Century 21. And, you know, Century 21 is, uh, you know, a significant organization, 10,000 offices in 80 countries and territories, uh, and just, you know, a tremendous global presence, uh, great presence here in the U.S. It was a lot to get done. Uh, I had a lot of my own, you know, thoughts and ideas about the brand and really who they were and how they had played in the space. Um, but uh, went after it with vigor as I do with everything and uh, had a really successful run there. Uh, from 2000 and it was very early 2010 up until when I quote retired and quote uh, in April of 2017. So about seven and a half years uh, as the CEO of that organization. And, uh, you know, it, it was just, it was such a great learning experience, um, such a great opportunity to really have an impact um, on the real estate space uh, at both a national level as well as a global level. So uh, when I retired, um, I retired with a purpose. Uh, I saw an opportunity in the residential real estate space. You know, we're a highly fragmented industry. Uh, the residential real estate brokerage space is about a $75 billion industry today. There's 86,000 individual brokerage firms in the United States. It's highly fragmented. Uh, and there are very few that have really built themselves to the size and significance uh, to be able to take advantage of the market. We all know who those players are. Uh, you know, it's probably you can count them on two hands. And uh, I saw an opportunity uh, really to jump into uh, a consolidation play uh, in the residential real estate industry. So. Uh, I left my position with the focus of raising capital uh, and doing consolidation play in the business, uh, really looking at the profitability of these organizations, how do you vertically integrate uh, the ancillary services aspects, and most importantly, you know, provide a level of services to the consumer where the consumer feels as though the agent and the broker are relevant in the transaction and are bringing ease and process to that transaction. Uh, at the same time that agents are feeling as though they're part of a much broader organization that has a tremendous amount of resource and capability of serving their client. So that's, uh, that's what I'm working on today and uh, having, uh, having some good success uh, in the capital raise uh, aspects of it. Uh, it's been a, that's been a learning experience in and of itself. I've never played in the private equity world. Uh, so uh, I've had, Lots of meetings, uh, you know, like any good salesperson, I've had lots of no's, uh, but I've had a couple of wins. And uh, so um, I'm off to the races and uh, look to make a significant impact in the marketplace in the months to come. Well, uh, so that's a great history, Rick. And thank you for sharing. Um, it's fun for me to hear that again, because I've heard, I've heard that from you before, but it's been a while. Uh, we have a lot of similarities actually. So just commonalities, I should say. My dad actually was at CB Commercial for many years here in Utah. Wow, I didn't know uh, that. So uh, also at one point in my career, I was partnering with Rilogy when they were in the process of going public. And I was partnering to do a consolidation play within, uh, because they couldn't buy franchisees anymore at that time. So I was looking at doing that with them that we didn't end up delivering on that because we couldn't get the EBITDA high enough from a real estate business. But so I got to experience some of what you're going through right now. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the, the plan was to do a consolidation play. And obviously I've, I've spent a lot of time uh, raising capital from VCs and private equity companies, uh, just being an entre entrepreneur my whole life. So anyway, uh, exciting, exciting time to be in real estate. Yes, it is. And uh, so tell us, I mean, as you look at real estate and as you, as you see what's going on out there, I mean, where do you see real estate being like 
two years from now, five years from now, what's, there's such major changes happening in this space. What's happening, right? Everybody wants to know. Obviously, we know you don't know, but we would love to get your, your perspective on, on, and vision on where you think that's going. Well, you know, it is, it is an interesting time to be in, uh, in the real estate uh, business. And, you know, we hear these buzzwords in the marketplace today, you know, innovation, disruption. Uh, and I think, frankly, there is a lot of innovation, which is a great thing for the real estate industry, especially the residential real estate industry. You know, we've really moved from what was an agent-centric business to a consumer-centric business. And technology is the engine behind uh, that shift in the way that this industry functions. You know, back in 1984, when I bought my first house, uh, you know, I drove around with a real estate agent and a three ring binder that was four inches thick with all the MLS sheets. And we had a paper map out on the dashboard and, you know, trying to figure out which were the homes that we wanted to go see. There wasn't a lot of opportunity to do things any differently than that because the agent really controlled access to the information uh, about what was available in the marketplace. You know, fast forward to 2019, we all know it's a completely different landscape today. Uh, I recently bought a home in Draper, Utah, uh, and I went to my real estate agent, you know, what I call self-prescribed. Uh, so, you know, I had five homes that I wanted to go see. I had already done my research on the market. I knew exactly the type of home that I wanted, what kind of amenities I wanted, what I wanted the community to look like, what the price ranges were. And it just completely, you know, limits the time frame that it takes in order to have success in finding the home that you're looking for. Now, that being said, you know, where the agent can really be a valuable part of that process is that what they bring to the table is market intelligence. And you can't find market intelligence online. And what I mean by that specifically is uh, you may be able to do all of this research and dig through all of this data through online sources and other technology platforms and identify, you know, homes that you may have an interest in, but it's the agent that understands, you know, the community. It's the agent that understands the street that you're looking to live on. They may know the particular house. Uh, they may know of houses that are potentially coming to market that haven't yet come to market that really fit your need. Uh, so, you know, it has really shifted from the agent controlling kind of, you know, 95% of the process to the consumer uh, really controlling a, a significant percentage of the process today. And the agent, in a lot of cases, struggling to figure out how to provide value in the transaction. I call what we're faced with today a race for relevancy. And yeah. what I mean by that specifically is <clears throat> that the agent has to be relevant to the consumer in the transaction. The broker has to be relevant to the agent in the growth of their business and the success that they're having in the business. And if you're part of a real estate brand, the brand has to be relevant to the broker and to the agent, or there's no reason to be part of a brand. So, you know, technology and just innovation and the way that things are moving, how quickly they're moving, has really shifted and created this race to relevancy in the industry today. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I 100% agree with that. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, and one of the things I've seen is with these companies that have attempted to eliminate the real estate agent, I think a big part in addition to what you're saying, and this is my perception, but I think a big part of what the real estate agent does is when it goes under contract, they help keep it together. Because if you, were, if you were to connect a buyer and a seller and just let them go at it when the, the seller thinks their property is worth way more than it is and it has no problems and it's perfect, the buyer is listening to the home inspector and hearing all the problems and it just seems without the agents there, most of those, I, I don't know what percentage of transactions, but a lot of them are going to blow up. You know, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, so my last... Uh, uh, international conference that, you know, I hosted as the CEO of Century 21. Uh, the, I'm, I'm going to tell you a couple of different data points or a couple of different stories uh, related specifically to what you're addressing. So, 
you know, it, there was all this conversation in the industry that the millennial would disintermediate the real estate agent. And just to kind of put that in perspective on the commercial real estate side. So back in 2000, being in the Washington DC metropolitan market, my office actually was in Tyson's Corner, Virginia, uh, which is, you know, a large office market in and of itself, about 25 million square feet. And AOL built their headquarters just down the road. And, you know, it was really the beginning of the internet. Uh, and there was all of this conversation about the disintermediation of the commercial real estate agent. And when you think about uh, a transaction between principal to principal, and when it's about commercial real estate, there really is no emotion involved in it. It's, it's a financial transaction. Yeah. And, you know, so there was all this discussion about, you know, we would upload documents, uh, whether they were financial documents, engineering documents, architectural documents, uh, environmental documents to a password protected site. And then the principals would have access to that data and information and they would be able to go through their due diligence and pretty much cut the real estate broker out of the equation. Make well, a business decision, right? <laughs> that's right. And, yeah. but, but the interesting thing is here we are 19 you know, years later, uh, that disintermediation never happened. Uh, the real estate you know, professional brings to the table knowledge of process, negotiation skills, and most critically, relationships. And not just relationships with your sphere of influence, relationships with other real estate professionals in the market. What I find interesting about this business is this is one of the only industries where two competitors sit across the table from one another with the same objective, which is to get the house sold. And whether you're representing the seller or you're representing the buyer, it's all about getting the house sold. And you've got to have great relationships with other professionals in the industry because inevitably you are going to sit across the table from them and have to negotiate your way through a transaction on behalf of your client. But going back to, uh, you know, the whole idea of disintermediation, uh, it's, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a, a survey that was recently done by Harris Insights. Uh, it was their 2018 survey. It came out in 2019. Uh, Harris Insights uh, did this survey in combination uh, with the California Association of Realtors. And what was interesting about their findings is out of all of the consumers that they surveyed, 90% of all consumers they surveyed, and I don't remember specifically the statistic about how much time frame there was from when they got surveyed to when the last time they transacted a home purchase or a home sale, but 90% mm -hmm. of those consumers uh, used a real estate agent. Uh, and what was more interesting was the 90% was nine full percentage points higher than the original survey that they had done back in the early 2000s. So, you know, not only, yeah, not only are agents not being disintermediated, uh, the consumer is, is the demand for the use and the expertise of a real estate agent is growing. Uh, so back to the quick story that I was telling about the Century 21 Global Conference, we had 10 millennial home buyers and home sellers on stage, and they were being interviewed by a third party. And the primary question uh, that I wanted to share with you was, how many of you used a real estate agent? And these particular, uh, these particular millennials had bought and or sold a home within the last 180 days. Uh, how many of you millennials, which were supposed to be the disruptors, the disintermediators in our industry, used a real estate agent in your real estate transaction? To the person, all 10 of them raised their hands. <laughs> and what I found also interesting was, the second question was, how did you find your real estate agent? And just, just to be clear, this is in 2017, so this isn't like a long time ago, okay? Yeah. Uh, right. Even though the speed, you know, of the market is moving pretty darn fast and innovation is happening. And, uh, but the second question was, how many, how did each of you find the real estate agent that you were, that you are working with? And to the person, all 10 of those individuals, all 10 of those millennials found their real estate agent through a relationship, sphere of influence, recommendation by a friend, by a parent. Uh, by another family member that had done a transaction uh, wow. with this particular real estate agent. So, you know, what that says to me is, yes, 
there's a tremendous amount of innovation occurring in our business. I don't really call it disruption. No one has truly disrupted our business today. I'd say the probably the closest thing to disruption of our industry has been the iBuyer uh, and the way in which those transactions are occurring. But in terms of you know buying and selling real estate and representing a buyer and seller in real estate as a real estate professional, this business is about the fundamentals. Uh, this business is about leveraging a sphere of influence. This business is about door knocking and farming and old school prospecting and really focusing on serving the customer well. And, you know, obviously online lead generation and most importantly, you know, lead conversion and all of these various sources that are now available to real estate agents today to be able to serve the market in a better way and to be able to do a lot more transactions today than ever was possible before you know the advent of of technology in our industry very well said rick you speak with such confidence that i'm like oh yeah <laughs> everyone everyone's going to be it wouldn't matter what you said everyone would believe you but you're <laughs> saying such great things i'm like wow what a great point so uh well, I have a bridge. I got a bridge I'll sell you in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> so many people are afraid in the industry, right? I'm in front of people at masterminds in different places in the industry all the time. And there is a huge fear of disruption. I agree. The iBuyer is the, today the biggest. So many people now are also switching gears and also turning their business if they're successful real estate teams or brokerages turning their business into an iBuyer business as well, right? Sure. Because, because it's number one, it's a great way, it's a great opportunity to make money. It's also a great way to create listings, right? So um, thank you for that insight. I, I think it's a great point. Innovation or disruption, what is it, right? And innovation is really what's happening here. And to your point, I've never seen, I mean, these real estate teams are doubling their business every year because the innovation is allowing them to do that. And just seeing that and being a part of that has been a, such a great experience for me to see. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, all of this, all these various technology tools. So it, when, when I look at the business overall, uh, I look at the agent, I look at the broker, and then I look at the tools and resources that are available uh, to the industry at a broad level. And, you know, agents today that are successful have figured out how to leverage technology and utilize technology to drive efficiency and optimization in their business. And, you know, if you're a team owner, uh, as an example, optimizing your business is absolutely critical because at the end of the day, this is all about profit. Um, and if you're not making profit uh, as an entity, whether you're a company, as whether you're a team owner, whether you're an individual agent, then if you're not making profit at the end of the day, then you have then there's an inability for you to be able to reinvest or reallocate capital back into various aspects of your business that are critically important if you want to continue on a growth trajectory, right? And it's, it's probably one of the most interesting things about conversations that I've been having with various companies that I'm, you know, talking with about potentially acquiring uh, and, you know, there's, there's so much discussion and fear about profitability and, you know, how the, how the splits are continuing to go up, how the company dollar or the gross profit is going down, how the expenses are going up and what the margins are looking like. And, uh, you know, it's critically important, regardless of what aspect of the business that you function in, that you have to focus on bottom line performance. And what technology has allowed the industry to do uh, is to generate top line business because agents today are able to do, you know, five to 50 times the norms of the industry, right? right. You know, the average per person productivity across the industry is seven home sales. Uh, I know personally, you know, individuals and teams that are doing 350 home sales. Uh, and they're, so they're doing 50 times the industry average. That was never possible before, you know, the, before technology took hold in our, in our business today. And uh, same thing on the brokerage side. I think for brokerages and, you know, not as much with team owners, but for brokerages, I think brokerages are struggling trying to figure out what's the best way to provide technology resource to teams and agents within their firms. Mm -hmm. I happen to be an open architecture, uh, you know, uh, proponent. And I'm a big believer that, you know, agents and teams, unless they're brand new into the business, 
uh, and haven't found the technology that works for them, they come to the table with technology that works. Uh, it works for them, it works for their business, it works for the people that are on their team or for them individually. And as a broker, if I'm trying to drive them, you know, to, to shift over to using the platform that I'm providing, uh, that's, you know, it's a tough road to hoe. Uh, it's really hard to get, uh, you know, the, the, the level of buy-in to warrant the investment that you want to put into technology so that you can consider yourself, you know, a tech-enabled uh, yeah. business. Um, you know, I, I've seen obviously through our work at CSU, you know, the kind of product that CSU, what, you know, the, the services that CSU provides as a product is, you know, it provides an, an ability for agents to be able to not only look at their business, not only track their business, but now to plan their business and execute on their business. And it's those kind of technology platforms uh, that have shifted the way in which the real estate agent and real estate teams function in the business today. Yeah. You said something really that I think is really interesting because most of the big companies, most of the franchisors out there today are really focused on building their own technology. You bet. And, you know, I've heard, I've heard them say things like, you don't want other people to, to have your data. But then when I talk to these teams, these large team owners that we work with and they say, well, I don't want them to own my data because then I could never leave. Right. So they want to be able to control their own destiny. So I think it's a real tough battle that uh, a real tough sell for, for some of these larger companies to, to try to jump in that from that perspective. But also you have all these SaaS businesses out there today that that's their full-time effort. And as these companies go and try to develop something, they put together a roadmap of this is where I want to be in two years or five years. And what they don't realize is all of the support and all of the changes. And by the time they get there, what they wanted is probably going to be something different, right? So it's, it's really tough, I think, to, to go from being a real estate company to a technology company. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a real conundrum, I think, for, uh, you know, for big businesses uh, that are in our industry. And uh, I think for, you know, maybe the vast majority, but that, in, and this is in number of agents, the vast majority of agents may uh, want to have the availability of various technology resources to them through their brokerage or their brand. Uh, but the top, the top performers in our industry, you know, you look at the top, the top 20%, uh, they typically come to, you know, to their business, what I call self-prescribed, right? They come, they already have found success. They have found technology that works for them. They're smart enough to understand that, you know, there are these technology providers that are out there, that this is what they do a hundred percent of the time to your point. Yeah. Uh, you know, look, I fell victim to that myself as the CEO of Century 21 taking a look at what kind of technology was necessary in order to provide the tools and resources that we believe that the agents and, you know, we didn't just sit in a boardroom and make these decisions in a vacuum. We got out into the market and talked to our agents and to our brokers and said, what kind of product are you looking for? And then we went out to third party providers and we had that product developed or we entered into exclusive partnerships. Uh, we did make the mistake of, you know, build versus buy. Uh, and we were a real estate company. We weren't a technology company. And to your point, by the time that we got to market with the product that we wanted, by the time we were finished, uh, you know, beta test and, and were ready to come to market, the market had passed us by in most instances because, mm -hmm. you know, someone else who had been focused 100% of the time over that 18 or 24 month period while we were developing, uh, they had zoomed beyond us. And, now our product was maybe not obsolete, but certainly didn't have the bells and the whistles of some other product that was available off the shelf uh, across the industry. So, yeah. you know, just just thinking that through, um, you know, whether you're with a big brand, whether you're with a brokerage that has a great technology platform, uh, or you're a team owner, you know, my my recommendation or is or my observation is, you know, you have to just keep your eyes open. Uh, you, you need to be looking at, you know, you need to be looking at the industry from 10,000 feet uh, on a continual basis, right? And you have to be looking at all the players that are in our space. You got to look at the trajectory that they are headed. Uh, you got to look at the new technology that's being developed. You need to spend time 
and, and really uh, understand how that technology may uh, positively affect your business uh, and make decisions you know, based upon a lot of data and research uh, and testing and not just make decisions you know, because someone says that it's a good product uh, or you run into someone at a trade show uh, and you, know, you get excited about it and the price seems right. I mean, all of those things uh, are mistakes that take a long time to unravel before uh, you figure out that the product really didn't work for you and now you've got to move on to something else. That's downtime in your business that you shouldn't have to spend if you're really focused on making the decision about the product at the forefront of the process. Yeah, great advice. Um, let's shift gears for a minute, Rick. So I know in Utah, there were just some regulations that changed where people who own a real estate business can also own mortgage, can also own title. Some, of, some areas in the country have that's been a long time thing, but I know here in Utah, that is like the hot topic right now. So talk to us about that. What is the opportunity for these real estate business owners to take advantage of and really, really be able to grow their business from those aspects? So, you know, the, the first thing I would say is the real estate brokerage business as a standalone business uh, is a low margin business. Uh, a lot of high volume, uh, a lot of top line revenue, but a significant uh, cost of sales, meaning the commission splits that go out to the agents that are really the ones that are generating the revenue. Uh, so you've got to be very smart about how you manage uh, your expenses downstream so that you can eke out a profit at the end of the day. Uh, it's a low margin business. And you know whether you're part of a brokerage or you're not part of a brokerage, uh, or you own your own brokerage, you know, where you really have to be focused is on the bottom line uh, and ensuring that you've got the money again to reinvest or reallocate capital back into your business so that you can continue to compete at a very effective level. I believe that standalone brokerages uh, today um, will not survive long term. So brokerage companies that only do brokerage. Uh, I think that we have to look at this business more as a real estate services business. And the way that I like to look at it is, you know, we have to develop around our real estate business, a consumer ecosystem of services that kind of surround the home buyer and home sale. Uh, and all of the various services that are necessary to provide to that customer, whether they be a seller or a buyer, and what services are going to be required pre-close and post-close. Uh, and those those businesses, whether they are mortgage, title, escrow, uh, home warranty, home security systems, uh, uh, home inspection, uh, you know, there's, there's a litany of services. Obviously, we could probably sit here and name off 25, 25 uh, uh, different business opportunities that could be part of this consumer ecosystem. But those types of services typically have a higher margin than does the real estate brokerage company. However, those types of businesses heavily rely upon the connection to a real estate uh, brokerage company because they're the ones that are generating the transaction, right? That's why you, know, you see mortgage companies creating MSAs uh, with individuals or with teams or with brokerage companies. Those, that's a marketing services agreement. You see mortgage companies uh, you know, and real estate companies being owned by the same entity. Uh, same thing with title companies, as you mentioned here in Utah, legislation was passed uh, that will now allow for a real estate brokerage company to own a title company. That's a game changer uh, for title companies in Utah. Uh, because, you know, they have had these long-standing relationships with these real estate brokerage companies that are the generator of the widget, you know, if you will, which is the home sale. And they drop that widget down through this vertically integrated structure, uh, now much of which they can own themselves and they don't have to partner with an outside firm. So if, you know, part of my strategy uh, is, and, you know, there are others that are doing it in the marketplace, is you need to generate the home sale, that's number one. In order to generate the home sale, you've got to have really good customer service. And in order to have really good customer service, you need to have the platform, the technology, and the training, and the education, and the right culture uh, for your agents to be a part of. And you need to be really focused on providing your agent all of the resources that they need and providing them this culture as, as a place where, you know, they can continue to build their business uh, and feel good about this place that they work 
if you can do all of those things and capture that home purchase and home sale, and you have this vertically integrated ancillary services structure to the side that you can then drop those, those sales through. One, it benefits the consumer, you know, to use a, an old term, one-stop shop, uh, but it is much easier to work with an individual that has access to all of these different providers of services that are going to be necessary in the home sale or home purchase. And it also provides your agents uh, a tremendous uh, number of tools and resources that they then can offer and differentiate themselves from potentially other competitors in the market. Yeah, very exciting. I think uh, after this conversation, I think a lot of people will probably be wanting to reach out to you to, to get more ad advice from you on that front. Absolutely. Certainly, certainly a thing that people wanna do. So before we finish, we'll, uh, we'll have you share that. I wanted to ask you another question uh, regarding the industry, and then we'll close out with a few questions. Okay. Uh, so this has been really interesting for me to watch on the sidelines, this Rilogy Compass uh, battle that's been taking place. You have been within Rilogy, so you understand that. Uh, I've seen Rilogy stock drop tremendously, so much so that I just bought some uh because i think it's it's definitely going to go up i mean the assets they have the 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 value they have there is is pretty incredible so uh just wanted to get your take on that whole that whole situation um and and you know what's going on there what are the opportunities um i think there's probably a lot of questions in the industry about that that obviously you don't know all the answers but you probably have a better better inclination than i do on that Hey, look, you know, Realogy, uh, and I spent 11 and a half years of my life there. Um, and I was with Realogy before they became Realogy, uh, when they were still owned by Ascendant. Uh, then we spun out and became Realogy, which was, uh, you know, separated uh, all of the real estate related businesses uh, out of Ascendant and became Realogy and went public uh, back in August of 2006. I was there when Apollo took us private uh, through a leverage buyout. Uh, in April of 2007. Um, think about that timing. They bought the company at a premium in 2007 in April and the market fell off of a cliff. Uh, so for, you know, the next five years, it was, uh, you know, it was a tough time uh, within any real estate company. Uh, in fact, I think Steve Murray from Real Trends, uh, the statistics that, that I have heard him say was 25% of the Real Trends 500, the top 500 real estate brokerage firms in the United States, did not survive the Great Recession. Yeah, uh, so I, I, I happened to buy a home inspection company, Housemaster Home Inspections, in 2008, went through the exact same thing, right? Not, not a good time to buy a company like that. Tough, 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 tough time in the industry, right? And, you know, a lot of broker owners, uh, you know, had to reinvest their personal savings back into their business. A lot of broker owners pivoted. Uh, and got their agents to focus, uh, you know, on short sales, uh, and had a had a high level of success during that time. A lot of broker owners were super smart. They had some dry powder, uh, and they were able to acquire companies or roll companies in, or do what I call walkover companies uh, into their existing enterprise because they had the cash uh, to be able to manage uh, through the downturn. But you know, let's face it. I mean, from 2007 to 2012, it was a horrible time to be in the industry just in terms of the pressure, right? I mean, you know, there was still four and a half million home sales that were sold at the trough of the market. Uh, and there is always going to be buyers and sellers in the market, regardless of what's happening at a macroeconomic level. And for those companies that made it through, it's fantastic. And, you know, Realogy was one of those companies uh, that made it through. And I can tell you because I was there and working diligently uh, with all of our franchisees, uh, to help them through that downturn. And, uh, you know, I'm proud to say that I think that we helped a lot of these individuals save their companies during that time that, that otherwise perhaps may have failed. So, you know, Realogy comes out of the downturn in 2012 and goes public again, uh, October of 2012. And uh, it, was, it was a good time uh, to be going back into the public markets. We were seeing a rise, uh, you know, in home sales. And just to put that in perspective, you know, that, just so, so the market today is performing, you know, incredibly well, right? The greatest challenge to the industry today is inventory. Uh, we're at 3.9 months of supply at a national level as of October's NAR report. Uh, but home sales sides are up and prices now have risen 92 consecutive months year over year. Uh, 
92 months. So, you know, being in the industry during this rise has been a really good time in the process, right? And Realogy, look at the brands that they own, right? I mean, you know, they, they own these incredible brands, uh, Sotheby's and Cobalt Banker and Century 21 and Better Homes and Gardens and ERA and Corcoran. Uh, and, you know, they owned uh, Cardis, which was their relocation company. They own a large title company nationally based called TRG. Uh, you know, they have this, uh, what they call their value circle, uh, which is, you know, an integrated way of capturing different uh, additional revenue opportunity. Uh, and then they have the NRT, which is all of their company-owned operations, which is, you know, a significant organization in and of itself with close to 45,000 real estate agents. That's outside of all of their uh, franchise business. So, you know, they're a really strong company. I mean, take a look at the fundamentals, uh, you know, dig into Yahoo Finance or, or whatever, uh, you know, provider that you like to dig into to find out statistics. They generate a tremendous amount of EBITDA. Uh, they generate a tremendous amount of free cash flow, uh, you know, probably more free cash flow than the next five uh, companies combined uh, in the space. And unfortunately, you know, as part of the go private transaction and then the go public transaction, they've got some significant debt that's sitting on their balance sheet. And I think that there's a combination of all of this discussion about disruption in the industry, real or not real, experienced or not experienced, uh, all of this conversation about, you know, iBuyers and uh, different models, whether they're low cost model to the agent or low cost model to the consumer, uh, you know, them taking, uh, you know, uh, customers away from more traditional firms, Compass raising, you know, one and a half billion dollars, uh, on Wall Street with the primary uh, or, you know, the majority of that money coming out of SoftBank, uh, the Innovation Fund, or uh, no, it's called the Vision Fund uh, out of Japan. Yep. And, you know, so they've got a significant war chest and they're out buying up companies and they're creating market share and they're telling a really good story. And, you know, Robert Refkin is a super smart guy and has, uh, has really positioned that company well. Uh, and Realogy, I think, you know, Unfortunately, because of the impact of their financials, specifically the debt on their balance sheet, uh, and concern about what that might look like on you know a short and long-term basis for the company, uh, you know Wall Street started to whack their stock, and uh, you know the market capitalization of of Realogy, which is at about a 1.1 billion dollars today, uh, they've had a significant bump uh, from the bottom of the market just even 60 days ago. Um, mm -hmm. But even at $1.1 billion of, of market cap, that market cap doesn't talk about the financial strength of the company. That market cap is simply, uh, you know, it's, it, 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 it is what their outstanding shares of stock trading at today's price uh, equate to. Uh, yeah. And yes, they've seen a significant decline, but it doesn't impact the, you know, the fundamentals of the business. And Realogy is still an incredibly strong company with really good legacy brands and uh, has had tremendous success in building their business. They're being innovative. They're coming out with a lot of new products and tools and, and uh, ways to better serve the agent and serve their franchisees. Uh, so, you know, hard not to be a pro Realogy guy after I spent, you know, 11 and a half years of my life there. Um, but that being said, you know, Keller Williams, has had a meteoric rise uh, from, you know, back in 2010. If, you know, if you look at where they were in 2010 to where they are in 2019, they've had a meteoric rise. Uh, there is no denying the success that they have had and, uh, you know, the leadership of Gary Keller and what he wants to do with that company and where he is taking that company. They have truly created a consumer brand in the market that I think back in 2010 wasn't near as strong as it is today. Today, it's strong. And it's strong because of the professionals that are part of Keller Williams. Um, I always had this um, mantra, if you will, uh, which is, uh, you know, the position and reputation of any real estate brand. And frankly, you could look at this on um, any consumer related service, but specifically to real estate, the strength and position and market position of any real estate brand is based on three metrics. It is the companies that we affiliate. So it's those local market brokerage companies that are representing your brand in the local marketplace. It is the professionals that we associate. So it's the agents that are associated with the brand. And it's the transactions that we complete because we're an incestuous business. We talk about ourselves a lot. 
we, we know the number of transactions that are getting done, but the consumer only knows real estate companies based upon their specific experience in the local market, right? So the reason Keller Williams has grown so rapidly and so well is they've brought on some great professionals that are representing their, their brand in the local marketplace and they have some incredibly strong teams that have really developed significant market presence. Same thing with Compass, same thing with Cobalt Banker and Century 21 and all of the other brands that are out there where they need to be focused is who is representing them in the marketplace and what is the consumer experience as a result of the representation that they have at the local market level. Um, so we're going to continue to see innovation in this business. Thank goodness we need to. Uh, we need to figure out how uh, to continue to deliver a higher level of service uh, to the consumer. You know, there's a huge amount of venture capital that's focused on the prop tech sector. Uh, I think I read uh, just recently that there will be $10 billion of invested venture capital into the prop tech sector in 2019. That's not a surprise. That's up from like 8 billion in 2018. And I think that we'll continue to see uh, an increase in, uh, in, in the sector in terms of investment. I mean, look at a $75 billion industry that everyone's figuring, trying to figure out how to get a piece of that industry. Um, and that capital coming into, into our business will continue to drive this evolutionary process in our, in our business. And us as real estate professionals, regardless of what side of the business you're on, man, you better stay nimble. You better be able to move at the speed of the market. You better be able to move at the speed of your client. You better keep your peripheral vision really wide and make sure that you're seeing all of the competitors. As I said early, fly it, earlier, fly at 10,000 feet and kind of, you know, not all the time, but take a view of what's going on with the broader industry, the broader market, what's happening, what players are doing, what in the marketplace, and then develop your strategies in order to reach the trajectory of the market, right? So if this is where the industry is going, you want your strategy to be out in front of that so that when the market gets to it, you're already in advance of what's happening. Um, it just takes, you know, anytime you think that you have downtime, uh, I'd say it's time that you're wasting that you could be looking at a broader uh, vision of what's happening in the industry. So, you know, well, it's, uh, very, uh, very exciting advice, Rick. Uh, I, I was just going to ask you what advice to give, but that you, what advice you would give, but you just gave some, some stellar advice. So we'll, well, I believe we'll it with that. Um, what, one quick question around, uh, I, I know you're a big reader. I see all your books back there on the bookshelf. What is a book that everyone in this business should get their hands on and read? The Energy Bus. The Energy Bus. Okay. Yes. So, you know, I'm a huge believer in surrounding myself uh, with people, uh, you know, that have a similar ethos uh, and, uh, you know, that, that are positive uh, people. Uh, the Energy Bus is all around. It's, it's a cool story. It's a very quick read, uh, but it really talks about surrounding yourself with people that bring energy and enthusiasm and fun and life into your life. Um, you know, look, this is a hard business, man. Um, anybody who has been in this business for a long time and has a level of success knows how much they had to work, knows how much struggle that there was. And uh, we have to constantly stay up, you know, kind of the classic answer that a realtor always gives when somebody says, hey, how's the market? The market is great. Well, the reason for that is people are, you know, realtors are trying to keep themselves, uh, you know, positive all the time, looking at the positive aspects of not only the business, but their life. I think it's critically important, you know, the one piece of, of information or advice that I would have is, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? We've all heard that uh, term and I could not agree more with that. I think that culture is a critically important component uh, of being in this business, whether you're a team owner or you're a broker owner, um, creating a culture where people, where first of all, where the culture is conducive to people in your organization doing better as a result of being with you than without you uh, is critical. And uh, we should focus on creating a work environment that is fun and exciting and creates opportunity for people. We need to hold each other accountable. We need to focus on the fundamentals. We need to constantly be chasing, uh, you know, new information, training and education, uh, really understand what's going on with the business and just really work this like a true business and being an entrepreneur and being in it. 
And at the same time, uh, maybe there is one other book I would recommend. It's called The E-Myth. Yeah. And uh, The E-Myth is just a phenomenal book uh, because it talks about the conundrum between being an entrepreneur uh, and being a technician uh, and getting stuck working in your business versus taking the time to work on your business. Uh, and Michael Gerber, the guy that wrote that book, is just an icon. He's about 82 years old now, I think, uh, and is still just out there innovating and looking at new ways of taking organizations to the next level. So The Energy Bus and The E-Myth, I think, are two great books that will really, one will help you to really think about your business differently. The other will help you to think about your culture differently and the kind of people uh, that you want to surround yourself with. I love your culture advice, Rick. Uh, as I've stormed the halls at Rilogy, people knew that I knew you and I've heard nothing but great, great things about you. So I know you created a, a stellar culture while you were there. Thank you. Uh, everybody loves you there. So Anyway, congratulations on all of your success. We're grateful to have been able to spend this time with you today. And the last thing is, can you just let people know how to get a hold of you? Because I know if I listen to this, I'd want to get a hold of you. Um, Absolutely. So what's, what's the best uh, way to do that? Yeah, my email is rick at karenre.com. So I'm, I'm an Alpine Mountaineer, so Karen is not uh, a female name. It's C-A-I-R-N-R-E.com. Uh, Karen, you better repeat. You better repeat that because it's going to get mixed up one more time. C okay. It is Rick at c a i r n r e dot com. Karen r e dot com. Okay. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time today, Rick. It's been Great a lot of fun. To talk to you, Brian. So there you have it. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. If you have an interest in a free seven-day trial of Sisu make sure that you use the coupon GRIT, that's G-R-I-T, to waive all your setup fees and receive a 10% discount on your subscription. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to subscribe, search GRIT, the Real Estate Growth Mindset Podcast on iTunes. And with that, we'll catch you next time. Take care.